why this wall of opposition? It's really perplexing, especially from the insurance companies, because all they have to do is dust off how they did business before Obamacare. Yeah. Things were great before Obamacare. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Just do it that way. I had the feeling that something right. How hard could it be? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, Palinville, New York's 102.9 FM WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Amongst other fine affiliates, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week, right here on the Bradcast. Thank you for joining us today. Um, well, is it my imagination, Desi Doyen? This is a question for you. Hello, <laughs> okay. Desi Doyen. Hello. Uh, it is, is it my imagination, or was there a time? Because you're, I'm asking you, because you're old enough, because you're so old. <laughs> uh, wasn't there a time that we used to debate the the pros and cons of of various policies in this country, rather than just whether one side is simply lying about their proposed policies or not? Wasn't there a time? Don't I remember that correctly? I vaguely recall a time of somewhat sanity where we could actually talk about the actual contents of policies and actual data and evidence supporting and in pros and cons of those policies and, and how they work out in the real world. So that, but I don't I don't remember anything like that recently. Yeah, so that wasn't my imagination, though. No, that you did way, not there used to that. be a debate about that policy really as a opposed to how much uh, one side is blatantly lying about their own policies. That's where we are now, it seems. Uh, We'll be joined in a bit by Ned Resnikoff of Think Progress to discuss whether Rand Paul, one of right now just two GOP senators so far anyway, to come out publicly against the Republican health care scheme, Uh, to repeal and replace Obamacare, whether Rand Paul is lying or not, or if he actually believes in the nonsense that he seems to be spewing about uh, the uh, about American health care in general. And, uh, you know, I shouldn't be critical, I guess, because he's helping to hold up this terrible bill that will take health care coverage from millions of Americans. But uh, the reason he's against it is is. It's just kind of amazing. It's as if Rand Paul landed on this planet um, the day they passed Obamacare back in, what was it, 2010 or something, that he was not here for the previous decades of problems with the American healthcare system. But in any event, uh, this idea of, you know, legitimate debate uh, versus just 
lies or not lies. That's kind of where we are right now with the administration's push. Uh, once again, as seen over the weekend on the Sunday shows where they're basically lying. They're just lying about what their proposed GOP health care scheme will and will not do. And they're even lying to governor, to their own governors, to Republican governors about it at the National Governors Association confab on uh, over the weekend on Friday and Saturday. Uh, that does not seem to have gone well, according to Eric Bradner over at uh, CNN and uh, similar reporting at Washington Post and AP. The nation's governors confronted President Donald Trump's top health officials over the cost of the Republican health care push to their states in a tense closed door session in Rhode Island over the weekend. Vice President Mike Pence. Remember, he's he's the not insane one. He's the one who doesn't lie. He's, he's the one who's the not Donald Trump. Room. Right. Vice President Mike Pence, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price, uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Administrator Seema Verma made a frantic bid at the National Governors Association meeting on Friday and Saturday to try to win over or at least silence skeptical GOP governors. It does not seem to have worked at least according to reporting from all sorts of sources uh, over the past several days since that meeting. Efforts uh, left major questions unanswered, according to Republican and Democratic governors alike. Pence's speech on Friday in particular resulted in the vice president openly feuding with Ohio Governor John Kasich. A Republican. I'll get to that in a moment. Price and Verma had been dispatched to the meeting uh, to convince governors that their states could absorb the elimination of enhanced Medicaid funding for low income adults who received coverage under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare uh, and uh, the reduction of federal support for their overall Medicaid programs. They were basically telling these governors, you don't have to worry about it. This is freedom, baby. Enjoy. You're, yes, states' <laughs> rights. Isn't this what you wanted? They're like, uh, no, we were fine with how it was before. Uh, the uh, the administration officials urged governors to ignore, just ignore. Don't worry, it didn't happen. Don't pay attention to uh, the gov to the congressional, the nonpartisan congressional budget office's estimates that some 15 million fewer people would be covered by Medicaid alone by 2026 under this new Republican scheme. And that $772 billion would be cut from the program compared to current law under, a, uh, under, the state, under the Senate Republican bill that would eliminate Obamacare's expansion of the program. So they're doing away with $772 from the federal governments given to the states. And now they're telling the states, hey, man, this is what you wanted. This is states' rights. This is uh, going to give you flexibility. Aren't you happy about it? The argument that states would gain flexibility to overhaul their traditional Medicaid programs through block grants or per enrollee caps, caps on how much the federal government would actually spend on each of the people who are signed up for Medicaid. Um, right now, they, it's unlimited. They give them the amount of money they need for their medical care. Uh, that that would allow states to save money that could then be used to stave off losses of coverage. But apparently the closed-door session with uh, Price and Verma and Pence um, over the weekend was, quote, pretty atrocious, according to Connecticut Democratic Governor Dan Malloy. 
He said they repeatedly pretended that the federal government saving hundreds of billions of dollars won't translate to actual cuts. He said, I was told that I'll innovate sufficiently to save them hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Republicans, however, also emerged from the meeting, saying they remain concerned about the long-term financial fallout from the bill. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, a Republican whose state had expanded Medicaid, said, I think there's disagreement on the outcomes and, and what that means and whether that is manageable. Another key governor, Nevada Republican Brian Sandoval, told reporters afterwards after that Saturday meeting that he remained concerned about the bill's elimination of funding for Obamacare's Medicaid expansion, which has led to 210,000 Nevadans to gain coverage. Nevada Republican Senator Dean Heller has closely linked his vote to Sandoval's position on this. Basically, if the Republican governor of, of Nevada says, no, we don't want this uh, this repeal and replace of Obamacare, then Dean Heller, who is up for election, by the way, next year in this very swing state of Nevada, then uh, Dean uh, Heller has indicated he is likely to vote against it as well, though he hasn't come out so far on the current version. Right now, just two senators. If they held the vote today, uh, at least if John McCain was there, uh, this thing would pass. Mike Pence would would be the uh, tie vote, and uh, it would go through, at least as of today. AP reports that uh, Sandoval is one of the bill's most prominent Republican skeptics. And on Saturday, he said it's unlikely that uh, the administration officials changed anyone's mind. He said, I'm struggling to validate the numbers that are being presented to me by the administration versus what I'm hearing from, you know, independent experts. What I'll likely hear from the Congressional Budget Office, which uh, the CBO is about to come out with their new score on this uh, any any moment now. Uh, what I'm hearing from back home, Sandoval said after the governor's only meeting. AP reports that Connecticut Governor Dan Malloy, the chair of the Democratic Governors Association, said the mood at the Saturday breakfast meeting was tense. And, uh, quote, there are a lot of Republican governors who apparently have a neck problem. Because they were all looking down. Oh, meow. <laughs> Malloy said he uh, he argued um, with uh, with Price and Verma uh, after Verma had taken issue with the Congressional Budget Office forecast of coverage losses. Price cited the CBO analysis to back up a separate point. Malloy said they were incredibly inconsistent between themselves. They support what they like from the CBO and they otherwise attack the CBO saying they're getting it all wrong for the for the numbers that they don't like. Just before Price and Verma spoke on uh, Saturday morning, the consulting firm Avalair Health delivered a presentation to the governors that forecast cuts in federal Medicaid funding to the states of 27% to 36% by the year 2036 under the Senate legislation uh, as compared to current law. Now, again, the Republicans have been saying there are no cuts to uh, Medicaid here. We're not cutting Medicaid just because it looks like we're cutting Medicaid. We're not cutting it. Just get that out of your mind. They're just lying. Yes, they're they're cutting. And so this uh, Avalar Health Group uh, told them, yeah, as much as 36 percent of the Medicaid funding could be cut by the year 2036. Some governors said the presentation left them less certain about the Trump administration's claim that Medicaid funding would not decline. 
Wyoming Governor Matt Mead, a Republican, said, I think there's still some confusion on numbers. Oh, you think? (laughs) Yeah, math. It's tough. The conference's host, Governor of Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo, uh, a Democrat, said, if the federal government is trying to save hundreds of billions of dollars, the money's got to come from somewhere. And it either means it's coming from taking health insurance away from people who are now insured under the Medicaid expansion or... It means shifting the financial burden to the states, she said. Either way, that's bad for Rhode Island and bad for many of the states whose governors were represented at the meeting. And she's talking about, of course, Republicans as well. There, So, again, this is not of, you know, a, an argument of, well, it's good. We pay too much for Medicaid. We need to pay less. We need to, 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 to trim the, the federal uh, budget. They're just saying it's not happening at all. Don't believe your own eyes. You know, not a policy dispute. It's a a dispute about truth. It's a truth dispute. Pence on Friday, speaking of uh, truth here, Mike Pence, vice president, on Friday after his speech, uh, he drew a uh, what uh, CNN describes as a tepid reception from Republicans and Democrats in attendance. He made a reference to Ohio's uh, Republican governor, John Kasich, saying, quote, I suspect that he's very troubled to know that in Ohio alone, nearly 60,000 disabled citizens are stuck on waiting lists, leaving them without the care they need for months or even years. That claim, however, according to Kasich himself, according to his own office, is bogus. The waiting lists are related in uh, Ohio are related to Medicaid's home and community-based services, had nothing to do with Ohio's decision to expand Medicaid under Obamacare. Kasich's communication uh, department said on Twitter that, quote, the claim is not accurate. It's been fact-checked twice, and he linked to, um, they linked to fact-checks from both the L.A. Times and the Columbus Dispatch. Well, it was very nice of them to say that Pence was inaccurate. Inaccurate. Pence's claim was inaccurate instead of Pence lied. Pence lied, yeah, uh, lied about Ohio. And the Ohio governor, the Republican Ohio governor, had to come out and say that's a lie, although he didn't use that word. Uh, Kasich spokesman John Keeling told The Washington Post that the assertion was, quote, not accurate. (laughs) How's that? Not accurate. They won't say the L word. That's right. Well, maybe Mike Pence doesn't know. Maybe Mike Pence actually believes that, in which case, is Mike Pence actually lying? Or no, he... but his communications department that gave him that data would then be lying if they didn't bother. I guess we could presume that they didn't fact-check it, maybe. And, and the fact that it had been widely fact-checked by both the L.A. Exactly. Times and the Columbus Dispatch uh, makes it a little bit harder to swallow that they didn't know they were lying. In any event, uh, the, uh, his office, uh, his communications person said that's not accurate and that suggesting Medicaid expansion hurt the development, developmentally disabled uh, in Ohio is, quote, false and here's how here's how he avoided the use of the word lie here. It is just the opposite of what actually happened. <laughs> oh, my God. That's his quote. <laughs> According to the Post, uh, waiting lists for these Medicaid services are common and are typically longer in states that did not take Obamacare's Medicaid expansion than in those that did. So when he's talking about uh, Ohio, which did take the Medicaid expansion and waiting for lines, it's even worse in the places 
where that Medicaid expansion doesn't exist. And oh, by the way, the GOP wants to get rid of that Medicaid expansion. Ohio was among a number of Republican-controlled states that took that expansion, dramatically expanding the number of people who now qualify for the program. So um, Greg Sargent describes, uh, discusses a little bit the Republicans' nonstop lies on health care in his Plumline uh, column this morning at Washington Post. Uh, he cites the New York Times, Paul Krugman, who also uh, points to these lies, points that Republicans, um, other than a, f- a few of those uh, administration officials, are conspicuously not openly defending their goal of rolling back health coverage for poor people. There's not a lot of Republicans out there fighting in favor of this bill. Instead, Krugman notes at every stage of this political fight, they have claimed to be doing exactly the opposite of what they're actually doing. Covering more people, making health care cheaper, protecting Americans with pre-existing conditions. That's not what they're doing. They're doing the opposite of that, Krugman says. He says, we're not talking about run-of-the-mill spin here. We're talking about black is white, up is down, dishonesty so raw, it's practically surreal, he says. This isn't just an assault on health care. It's an assault on truth itself. And he's right. And this is one of the reasons why I've spent so much time on this show trying to explain what uh, these various Republican schemes in the House and the Senate, what they actually do and don't do. Because this is really arcane stuff. I know that a lot of people, including myself, I've had to learn a lot about this. This is, you know, stuff that people don't necessarily understand, which makes it a hell of a lot easier for the administration to go out, send a few people on the Sunday shows and just say stuff that is completely untrue. That is the opposite of the truth. That (laughs) is, as you would call it, Desi, a lie. There you go. Greg Sargent says it's so weird the way these courageous ideological warriors consistently refuse to defend their actual priorities, isn't it? In other words, they won't go out and explain why they are doing what they are doing, what they are actually doing. Instead, they have to lie about it. And Sargent says there's a good explanation for all of this lying. In the new post-ABC News poll that came out over the uh, over the weekend, large majorities say that the federal government should prioritize expanding health coverage over uh, to low-income people over cutting taxes. And this includes pretty much every core Trump voter group as well, notes, uh, uh, notes Sargent. The, poll, uh, the Post poll had asked <clears throat> on health care, which of these do you think is more important for the federal government to do? Provide health care coverage for low-income Americans or cut taxes? Simple question. Americans overall picked providing health care coverage to low by an enormous majority, 63 to 27 percent. That's overall. But according to the uh, if you dig down into the crosstabs, even Trump friendly demographics groups agree uh, that we should uh, put the priority on health coverage for low income Americans rather than cut taxes. Overall, whites, white people favor providing coverage for low-income Americans by uh, overcutting taxes by 59 to 31. Not even close. Americans age 50 to 64 agree by a a margin of 61 to 25. Huge margins. And again, these are the Trump voters. Americans older than 65 agree. Also 60 to 25. Non-college whites agree. 
by 58 to 33. Huge numbers. Even non-college white men, perhaps the most Trump-friendly group there is, they agree 53 to 38 that we should uh, put our priorities on health care coverage for low Americans rather than cutting taxes. Non-college white women also agree by an even larger margin, 62 to 28. It's not even close. Republicans, to be sure, lean towards cutting taxes overall, Republicans themselves, but not by much, by uh, just about 48 to 39. Sargent notes that's pretty tepid. Taken altogether, this suggests there are probably a lot of soft or reluctant Trump supporters who favor providing coverage to low-income Americans over cutting taxes. Separately, he notes, uh, Trump cares cuts to Medicaid and, and subsidies would directly hit a lot of the older and working white class. Uh, I'm sorry, working class whites who make up the Trump and GOP base. So many have uh, detailed that already, and there's nothing to change that. Trump voters in and of themselves would be the most hurt by this bill. And he says, and Sargent says, this may explain why the post-ABC News poll also finds that Americans favor the Affordable Care Act over the GOP replacement by huge numbers, 50 to 24. Wow. They'd rather keep the Affordable Care Act in place. Even Trump-friendly non-college whites, even they uh, are are divided on this, 33 to 33. So these are the most friendly uh, Trump voters there is. And even they can't decide 33 to 33 on whether uh, they prefer the Affordable Care Act over the GOP replacement. But the question pitting expanded coverage for poor people against cutting taxes strips down to the uh, core ideological battle over the GOP bill to its essence. At bottom, he writes, it's mainly about gutting Medicaid and subsidies to lower income people to facilitate tax cuts, period, end of story. And Americans are broadly opposed to this. And it's precisely that truth that all the latest lying and dissembling from the Trump team, that that's uh, what it's about. That's what it's designed to hide, to obfuscate. In his weekly address, President Trump played down the bill's enormous cuts to Medicaid. He claimed that uh, it also expands the opportunity for people on Medicaid to purchase private plans with federal financial assistance. So, see, this is an an opportunity for these people, as Donald Trump is lying to the public. Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price uh, similarly uh, has been preposterously saying that under the GOP bill, more people will get coverage than are currently covered. Covered. He's just making stuff up, just making it up. All of this dishonesty becomes more understandable once you see the polling uh, that's described by uh by Greg Sargent there in the in the Washington Post today. Brian Butler uh, argues at the New Republic that the only point of Trump care is to fulfill promises that were completely divorced from reality all along. And that's the problem. The Republicans had to do anything and everything they could to try to discredit Democrats, to try to, to discredit Barack Obama. So they pretended that the Affordable Care Act was some sort of disaster befalling the American people. Uh, And uh, Butler goes on to note that uh, if at the same time large swaths of Trump friendly voters don't support the actual policy goals here, 
that disconnect only underscores why Trump and the White House have to keep lying relentlessly about what the policy would do. They simply cannot tell the truth. Not because they're, you know, they're genetically disposed uh, to being able to tell the truth, but because if they do, the gig is up. They'd have to admit that, oh, yeah, not only are we lying about this plan, we've also been lying about Obamacare for the last eight years when we were telling you what a disaster it was. But the fact is, this bill at this point may never even get a vote in the U.S. Senate at all at this rate. Uh, John, uh, well, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell over the weekend on Saturday announced that the Senate will postpone its vote on the uh, measure to repeal Obamacare because Senator John McCain is now recovering from surgery. The vote was supposed to happen early this week, and now it is being put off for at least a week after McCain underwent surgery in Arizona on Friday to have a blood clot removed um, and he remains there uh, recuperating in Arizona. Uh, his office said on a sta- in a statement released over the weekend, his absence on a vote this week, as McConnell had planned, would potentially have taken a very heavy toll on that vote to repeal Obamacare. Right now, McConnell, as I mentioned, needs the support of 50. He needs 50 of the 52 Republican senators to advance the measure, and already Senators Susan Collins of Maine and Rand Paul of Kentucky have announced that they will vote against it. More on Collins and Paul and their positions in a moment, but Senator John McCain, his absence from the Senate this week as he recovers from the surgery for that blood clot will certainly complicate Republican prospects right now for advancing this thing at all. Surgeons in Phoenix, reportedly, according to AP, removed a blood clot from over McCain's left eye. The 80-year-old Senate veteran was advised by doctors to remain in Arizona this week, and pathology reports on that clot are expected in the next several days. But in Phoenix, Mayo Clinic hospitals, uh, Mayo, Mayo Clinic hospital doctors said that McCain underwent what they described as minimally invasive procedure to remove the nearly two-inch two-inch blood clot, Uh, and they say the surgery went well. Uh, According to a hospital statement, uh, McCain is is resting comfortably at his home. He is a three-time survivor of melanoma, however, and records of his medical exams released in 2008 when he was the GOP uh, candidate for president showed that he had had precancerous skin lesions removed, had an early-stage squamous uh, cell carcinoma removed, But there is no small irony here. Hopefully he'll be okay. but there's no small irony in that McConnell is being forced to postpone the vote because, A, he can't afford to lose even a single vote at this point. The best he can really hope for is a tie, it seems right now, a 50-50 tie in the uh, GOP-controlled Senate. Mike Pence, the vice president, would then break the tie since he's the president of the Senate with Republicans controlling the White House as well, but also that McConnell is forced to delay the vote on health care due to a health care related issue. (laughs) Gosh, it's nice that he's got such excellent health care coverage in the Senate. That's right, because this is undoubtedly being paid by any number of government sponsored health care programs, whether it's uh, Medicare that McCain enjoys as a senior or the veterans care that he gets since he's a veteran or even the health care that is paid for by the U.S. government as McCain is obviously a U.S. senator. So that uh, government-run health care seems to be working out pretty well for John McCain, at least we hope. 
It's nice when you got the government to uh, handle the enormous and often unexpected consequences uh, and costs of health care. Ain't it? Ain't it nice? So, yes, we wish the senator well, uh, but this means that any vote in the U.S. Senate, if it actually ever happens, is now going to be pushed off for at least a week, maybe more. It's hard to know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for McConnell, uh, whether this bill will get more support or less over time. I mentioned moderate Senator Susan Collins of Maine suggesting there could be up to 10 senators. She says there could be up to 10 senators opposed to the current plan, though just her and Rand Paul right now have been willing to say so out loud as of this moment. Collins explained her position on Sunday on ABC This Week, uh, once again reiterating her opposition to cutting Medicaid and the harm that it will cause um, to rural hospitals. A lot of those in Maine. We discussed that a few weeks ago. This w- that would affect everyone uh, who used those hospitals, not only the folks on Medicaid. Here's Collins. This bill would make sweeping and deep cuts in the Medicaid program, which has been a safety net program on the books for more than 50 years, ensuring that some of our most vulnerable citizens, our disabled children, our low-income seniors receive the health care that they need. It would also jeopardize the very existence of our rural hospitals and our nursing homes, which not only provide essential care to people in rural America, but also are major employers in the small communities in which they are located. And worst of all, these changes would be made without the Senate having held a single hearing to evaluate their impact. Which is just amazing to me. That's one of the yeah. reasons I wanted to play that clip, because the important point, not a single Senate hearing, not one, to discuss the impact of a bill that could toss more than $20 million off of the health care rolls and that affects one-fifth of the American economy, health care. I mean, this is just incredible when you think about it, that they didn't hold a single hearing to discuss what the impacts would be of this legislation. And it's even more incredible when you recall, if you're old enough, like Desi, to remember (laughs) that Republicans had for years been pretending that Democrats had jammed through the Affordable Care Act, jammed through Obamacare, jammed it down our throats, despite dozens of hearings on the bill in all sorts of Senate committees and hundreds of amendments that were accepted to it, added to the bill by Republicans. And now look at the hypocritical mess they have wrought. Uh, More on that hypocritical mess uh, in a moment with uh, Ned Resnikoff. Um, That's that's Susan Collins' uh, reason. She's the moderate here. Uh, Her reason for not supporting it. What about the folks on the right, on the Rand Paul, Ted Cruz right? Why are they opposed to it? And how does this circle possibly get squared ever? I guess they just have to keep lying about it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. 
Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Yeah, you're free to fall. At least under the uh, Republican health care scheme, it seems. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As Tierney Sneed reports over at Talking Points Memo this weekend, big players in the insurance industry, which has mostly held back public criticism of the GOP Obamacare repeal push, eviscerated a Senator Ted Cruz-sponsored provision that was included in the latest version of the Senate legislation released last week. Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield and America's health insurance plans said in a rare joint letter late last week to Senate leaders, quote, it is simply unworkable in any form and would undermine protections for those with pre-existing medical conditions, increase premiums, and lead to widespread terminations of coverage for people currently enrolled in the individual market. The Cruz proposal, known as the Consumer Freedom Option, because of course it is, would allow insurers to sell plans that would be free of many of the Affordable Care Act mandates, the requirements for certain minimal basic care just as long as they were also selling at least one Obamacare-compliant plan. Insurers and outside health experts had already been raising cons their concerns with the idea of, uh, of Ted Cruz's idea when it was being discussed in the abstract, warning that it would segment the market between healthy people choosing the non-compliant plans, you know, the really cheap plans that don't give you stuff like emergency care and uh, uh, hospital stays and so forth, and sick people relying on the Comprehensive Affordable Care Act plans. The insurers said this would allow the new plans to cherry-pick only healthy people from the existing market, making coverage unaffordable for the millions of people who need or want comprehensive coverage, including, for example, coverage for prescription drugs and mental health services, they said. They went on to predict that Cruz's proposal, quote, will lead to far fewer, if any, coverage options for consumers who purchase their plans in the individual market. As a result, millions of more individuals would become uninsured, the health insurers said. And in fact, they and others have argued that the provision would lead to the death spiral for insurance companies, a real one just like the one that Donald Trump and Republicans have been pretending was going on for insurers this whole time. Evidence that Republicans championing, championing this reform uh, actually favor that sort of a death spiral could be found in Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Tom Price's comments uh, on ABC's This Week on Sunday in response to some questioning by ABC's Jonathan Carl. But if you look at the Republican plan to modify it and replace it, more than 10 medical groups 
are against it. 32 cancer organizations oppose it. And on Thursday, in a rare joint statement by the biggest insurance companies in the country, called the Cruz Amendment unworkable in any form and warned it would lead to, quote, widespread terminations of coverage. So, Dr. Price, why this wall of opposition? It's really perplexing, especially from the insurance companies, because all they have to do is dust off how they did business before Obamacare. A single risk pool, which is what, what they're objecting to, is exactly the kind of process that, was, that, that has been utilized for decades. <laughs> All they have to do is dust off how they did business before Obamacare. Price admits, in other words, just go back to what we had prior to the Affordable Care Act when some 40 million Americans went entirely without any kind of uh, uh, health insurance or health coverage whatsoever. They prefer how the system was previously when, by the way, health care costs were spiraling even more out of control than they have under Obamacare, which has resulted in historic lows in the rise of health care costs. That apparently is also what Kentucky Senator Rand Paul wants as well. We already discussed the, uh, the Senate GOP moderates uh, concerns with the legislation resulting in uh, Senator Susan Collins of Maine saying she can't vote for the bill. But Rand Paul has also said the same, but for the opposite reason. The GOP bill does too much to help Americans obtain health coverage, apparently, in his opinion, according to uh, hardliners like Paul. Uh, writing at Think Progress last week, Ned Reznikoff explains that though the Senate's Better Care Reconciliation Act, or BCRA, would systematically dismantle Medicaid and wreak havoc on the Obamacare state marketplaces, it would not eradicate either source of coverage entirely, and that is to Paul's great chagrin. During a Thursday appearance on Fox and Friends, the junior Kentucky senator made a pitch for his alternative to uh, uh, to the Republican plan. Instead of leaving a fraction of the American health system's current protections in place, he said Congress should fully expose every single American as Reznikoff describes it, to the vicissitudes of the free market. I think we can offer something better than Obamacare. What I've been offering is there's 27 million people that were left behind by Obamacare who have no insurance currently. What I've been offering is a plan that would offer insurance to all of them at a cheaper price. Let every individual in this country plumbers, pest control, carpenters, weld them, let them join together in associations so they can get group insurance at a cheaper price. But you have to believe in freedom. You have to believe that leaving people alone, right. that the marketplace will bring the prices down. You just have to believe in freedom, have to believe that the marketplace will bring the prices down. But didn't we have freedom before Obamacare? And the prices went up, not down. So what the hell is Rand Paul talking about? Here to help us understand maybe what the hell Rand Paul is talking about is Ned Reznikoff. He's a senior editor at ThinkProgress.org. He has written for Al Jazeera America, The Atlantic, The New Republic, MSNBC, and others. Ned Reznikoff, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Great to have you here. All right, Ned. Uh, uh, so what's wrong with free market capitalism here as you see it? Or perhaps I should ask you, Ned, why do you hate freedom? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, markets in particular contexts. Uh, the the uh, analogy that I, I used to explain what's wrong with Rand Paul's line of thinking here was uh, selecting between different boxes of cereal at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. 
because I think the place where Paul is coming from is assuming that markets always work the same way and, and play by the same rules. But the truth is that uh, healthcare is a very different kind of commodity if we choose to treat it like a commodity than a, a box of cereal. And there's really no way to make it just a normal commodity because essentially what you're buying is always going to be fundamentally different and people are just going to behave differently when they're making decisions about how and when to purchase it. But but why isn't it the same as breakfast cereal? In other words, why isn't it just a commodity? And because uh, this is the argument that's being made by a lot of the Republicans. Uh, you hear Scott Walker, uh, uh, you know, Republican governor, making the argument um, that you know this is freedom. People can buy what they want or not buy what they want, and that the competition of the free market will bring prices down. Where where are they wrong in that uh, assertion? Well, there are a few places where they're they're wrong, and uh, the first one I think comes into uh, comes down to pricing, mm-hmm. because with uh, a box of cereal, for example, if it's eight dollars, which I personally think is exorbitant for just breakfast cereal, yes. then uh, you can make a decision not to buy it. Um, with healthcare, depending on what it offers, what particular services, uh, there's no real theoretical ceiling to how much people would be willing to pay. Because you're talking about coverage that could mean literally life of death, either for them or for their dependents. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, it becomes very difficult to just opt out, uh, even, even impossible to opt out unless you have a death wish. Um, so that really skews the, um, uh, the way that a, a market would, would set prices. And then there are a couple other features I think are really important. One is that uh, healthcare is such an incredibly complex issue that when you talk about sort of uh, the, the classical market model, there's usually an assumption of uh, perfect knowledge on, on the part of the consumers. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's never the case, but it's even less the case when you're talking about something with, uh, with uh, healthcare because it's it's both incredibly high stakes and also the sorts of thing the sort of thing that someone with uh, just a, a layman's expertise and I I include myself in that category can't can't possibly grasp everything that's going on when they're making these kinds of decisions um, so you're asking someone to essentially purchase a a, a black box where they don't know what's inside it mm. but the contents of that box could really be life or death. Yeah, and and not just for the person making the purchase, but for others in the community. Uh, you note in your in your piece, Ned, the distinction between cereal brands can be ascertained just by reading the box. Free for all insurance markets demand that healthcare consumers make life or death decisions based on imperfect knowledge of an extremely complex topic. Now that sounds. Uh, Ned, uh, a lot like a nanny state argument that the government is is needed to tell consumers what they need most. But it, it raises several points in my head that I, I'd love you to comment on. One, it's almost impossible to tell what health care will cost, even if you can guess what will be wrong with you down uh, down the road. And and two, there's there's really no way to know what will be wrong with you. And these cheap plans that Ted Cruz is calling for, for example, will result in the American taxpayer having to pick up the bill anyway, it seems to me, when Americans find themselves with some medical issue that is not covered by the cheap plan uh, or that they haven't uh, chosen as part of their uh, as part of their freedom. Uh, so doesn't that end up costing everyone else as well? Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that leads to what I think the most important point is with regards to why healthcare should not be treated like a normal commodity, which is that 
there really is a, a, a very socially important reason to make sure that everyone has access to affordable care. The, the, the consequences, the, even when the decision to buy health care is individual or personal, the consequences are very much social, mm-hmm. not just because uh, the people around you have a vested interest in making sure that you have a long and healthy life, for, for purely moral reasons, but also because of things like uh, communicable diseases or mm. the, uh, the burden on the state in terms of emergency care when people don't have access to preventative care. You, you sort of note that in your, in your piece here when you say that uh, everyone having medical care can ultimately be the, the difference between a stable community and a blighted neighborhood. How so? Well, uh, with that, I was making a specific reference to one of the things that is not included in um, the GOB plan if they if they got essential health services, mm-hmm. which is addiction services. Mm. Uh, having making sure that people have access to those kinds of services is crucial. I think at a time when we're dealing with an opioid epidemic in in many parts of the nation, uh, and and the the way that they uh, one of the ways in which they uh, purport to address this is by making this. I think scurrilous accusation that uh, access to Medicaid is somehow exacerbating the opioid epidemic Mm. because it means that people are getting prescribed opioids. Uh, We don't have this epidemic because there's an excess of health coverage. That's just an absurd (laughs) statement. (laughs) Yes, you you make a good point. But of course, uh, you know, if only people knew they were going to become addicted to opioids, uh, they could choose that with the free market. They could choose their plan in advance that it had coverage for that sort of a problem. Uh, listen, it, it, now, is this because Republicans, uh, or at least the guys, the hardliners on the right, guys like Rand Paul, does he just not care? Uh, or do, do he and, and Republicans actually believe this stuff? The, the, the right-wingers, the libertarians, do, do they actually believe that free market capitalism would somehow lead to everybody being covered as needed? Because it seems to me that's kind of the plan that we had in the previous, what, you know, 80 years or whatever it was and, until uh, we were finally able to pass the Affordable Care Act, even with all its uh, failings that do need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really think that uh, the the danger of them gutting or eradicating essential health coverage would be would not be as great if this were purely cynical. I, I do think that people like Rand Paul genuinely believe that the the state should have a role in only a, a very very small sphere of uh, of human and social behavior. Mm-hmm. The problem with that, of course, is that when you when you talk about the free market as opposed to the state you're also making a category error because because the market you're talking about is still something that exists that that's rules exist because of legal constructs and legal fictions that have been built up it's just a matter of of what you want the state to be doing do you want the state to be creating a market for a market state or do you want it to have some sort of interest in making sure that people are able to live healthy lives and it, it wasn't the argument before, in other words, that, that argument that you're raising, that question you're raising, wasn't that sort of settled in one sense before Obamacare? In other words, didn't Republicans and Democrats alike believe that the existing system, uh, system as it was was simply failing? You had millions, 40 million plus, uh, without any access to health care at all, other than showing up at the emergency room, uh, you know, for care, which I don't think you go there, you know, when you have cancer, you don't go to the uh, the emergency room for treatment. Wasn't this all sort of 
litigated prior to Obamacare, didn't we all sort of agree that we needed to change the system? And then you hear a guy like Tom Price coming on and saying, well, you know, let's just do the do it the way we had before. The, uh, the insurance companies, they shouldn't complain about this. Just uh, do it the way we had uh, before Obamacare. I mean, in other words, why are we litigating all of this again in the first place, Ned? Well, I think it does have something to do with donor capture. There's a, a very good book by Jane Mayer called Dark Money mm-hmm. that uh, does a, a few things, but one of them is it includes a, a mini biography of the, the Koch brothers. And one thing that you, you get walking away from that book is that these guys are not just looking out for themselves. They're not, they're not cynics about this. They really do adhere to this extreme doctrinaire version of libertarianism where the, um, the market really is everything. And the only role of any government is to essentially uh, uh, safeguard the free market against potential intrusions on it. And I think that that, that view held by a, a, a small handful of donors has come to totally dominate the party. And, you know, there is an argument, I think, to be made. And, I, and actually, I do believe uh, guys like Rand Paul, uh, not everyone, not guys like, you know, Jason Chaffetz, who, who made a similar argument, you know, comparing health care to, hey, just don't buy as many iPhones or whatever. But, you know, I, I, I believe Rand Paul actually sort of does believe that, does believe that somehow the, the, the market will take care of everyone. And there is an argument to be made for that, except that when it comes to health care, that's really what we had for decades. So it's it's remarkable that they would say, well, let's go back to that when it sort of seemed to be understood by everyone that that system was not working. That system was failing as far as lack of coverage and, of course, uh, you know, the the increase, uh, the, the wild increase of uh, of rates. Uh, healthcare uh, costs and so forth. So, uh, Ned Reznikoff, are, are you able to, and I realize this is a dangerous uh, uh, business here, but are you able to ascertain what the hell happens next here? I mean, this seems like an impossible circle to square for Republicans. Uh, you know, I've argued, nonetheless, it's a mistake to misunderestimate their ability to buy off votes and, and their embarrassment at failing to undo this thing that they've been telling us is a disaster for the last 10 years. But uh, where does this go now when they have to cancel the vote just because uh, even John McCain can't show up due to, ironically enough, a medical procedure? I mean, it's hard to say for me what's going to happen, but I will say this, just looking at the lay of the land right mm-hmm. now, I think they they recognize that postponing the vote, even though it was absolutely necessary because they can't afford to lose a single vote right now, is, is a, a dangerous business for them. And the reason why is because the longer they go before the vote, the more time that allows for public scrutiny of this bill, for reporting on the effects of this bill, and most importantly, for more town halls, more indivisible groups, more people calling their senators. And I think that's the thing that they're really scared of, because the the phone calls are, in fact, working. They are having an effect on on the uh, the quote unquote moderates who are are concerned about their position in 2018. The more the more pressure they're getting from activists in their home states, the harder it's going to be for McConnell to get them to vote yes on this thing. Are they willing to uh, end up with a really, really bad bill rather than have no bill at all? Or is that the is is that the political calculation here that they'd rather put something in place that ends up uh, 
costing health care to millions of their own voters, by the way, down the road, that that cost to them is less than the immediate embarrassment of being unable to pass anything at all here? Uh, I think it depends on uh, which which group in the party you're talking about. I mean, I, I personally think that at this point, the uh, just seeing the way that this this debate has played out, mm-hmm. not even just during this administration, but for the the past seven years of uh, totally symbolic attempts to repeal Obamacare in in uh, co- that, those Congresses, um, this really has taken on this uh, a sort of internal logic of its own. Where I think if you actually if you actually take a step back and and you think about this outside of the uh, the inverted logic that this debate has taken on, it's it's hard to figure out why why they're doing any of this. Right. Um, I think I think I can't remember who it was, uh, but someone pointed out recently that uh, this most recent version of the bill is is designed to solve a problem that doesn't exist, and mm-hmm. if uh, if you Go and ask these senators, which which Vox did a, a few weeks ago. What what why did what is this bill trying to do? What is this bill for? No one has an answer. Right. No one can really explain it. It's just this is the Obamacare repeal bill. Yep. It's it, it seems it's it seems like it's one hundred percent political, which is why they basically have to lie about what this bill actually will do. Uh, Ned Reznikov, you describe a, a internal logic of its own. I would say internal lack of logic on its own. It makes no sense, and the fact that we are still uh, even you know pointing this out and pretending we're having a debate about it. Um, you know, we're, we're no longer debating what's good and bad healthcare care uh, policy. We're just really debating how insane and how much the Republicans seem to be lying about what their own bill will do and what the damage will will do. Ned Reznikoff, uh, really appreciate you joining us uh, to discuss this today. Uh, Ned is the senior editor at thinkprogress.org. You can, of course, find his work at thinkprogress.org, and you can and should follow him on the Twitters at Simply Reznikoff. Ned, really appreciate you uh, joining us here today. Thank you. You bet. Okay, a quick break, and we're back with uh, more broadcast. Um uh, more on the cost of lying about health care, but not on the health care plan, plan. Something completely different, sort of, kind of, down in Texas, your home state, Desi. Buckle up. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. We rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Yeah, it kind of gets... Kind of gets old, all of those lies. But where else do you go? Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, speaking of lies, uh, it appears that cuts to family planning funding, funding in Texas, uh, your home state, Desi yeah. Doyen, has led to, I know you, 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 you're you just very excited about this oh, story, aren't boy. you? Well, here's what's coming. Uh, the uh, cuts to family planning in Texas has led to an increase in teen births and abortions oh. in the state. 
That's so sad to me. That's according to a forthcoming research paper in the Journal of Health Economics. Uh, this is in response to 20... You know, elections have consequences. Legislation has consequences. Lying has consequences. In 2011, the Texas state legislature restructured funding for family planning, reducing the state's family planning budget by 67 percent from 111 million over two years to just 37.9 million for the next two years. That meant that specialty clinics, including Planned Parenthood, faced the brunt of these funding cuts. When the cuts first took effect on uh, in, in September of 2011, 14 family planning clinics clinics lost funds immediately, according to another research paper on the effects of those cuts. And by the end of 2012, a quarter of family planning clinics in, clinics in Texas had shut down, while 18 percent had reduced service hours and 50 percent had fired staff. So. Uh, it led to an increase in teen births, an increase in abortions. It uh, meant people were fired. It cost jobs. Oh, it hurts. It hurts productivity. And overall, it causes lifelong consequences. I mean, it's it's data that we understand. This is a very well understood problem. There, There is so much data that shows, so much evidence that shows when you increase access to free or low cost family planning services, birth control, that it actually reduces the abortion rate and the unplanned pregnancy rate, and most especially the teen birth rate. That's the hardest part that he, when I hear this. That's the part that gets to me the most. And and by the way, they, uh, the Republicans also will be cutting uh, Planned Parenthood, funding the Planned Parenthood. Even though federal law already uh, says that money cannot be used for abortions, they're cutting Planned Parenthood in this Republican health care law that they're that they're trying to pass. So many consequences. The, it's uh, so sad. The new study authored by Annalisa Packham uh, at uh, Miami University found that the 67 percent decrease in funding resulted in an increase in the teen birth rate by 3.4 percent or nearly 2,200 more teens giving birth in the state of Texas. Texas. And uh, the effect of those cuts were primarily felt in counties with re relatively high poverty levels and increased birth rates were concentrated between two and three years following those cuts. The paper says that although the primary stated objective of the funding cuts was to decrease abortion incidents, she says she finds little evidence that reducing family planning actually achieved that goal. In fact, she found the opposite effect. In, right. tw in 2013, there was a 15 percent spike in abortions in the state just two years after they passed that uh, enacted that bill. Right. Um, and uh, ultimately, by the way, it was also more expensive. The uh, cost of uh, for teen child bear uh, bearing is nearly twenty seven thousand dollars per birth. And that means uh, all of the extra teen uh, pregnancies that comes out to $81 million for taxpayers through 2014. And that far uh, outweighs the $73 million funding cuts to those programs that caused it. <sighs> Elections, legislation, lying about it all. Yes, has consequences to you and I. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Ned Resnikoff of Think Progress, 
and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, my thanks also to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to allow us to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you can find me at simply the Bradblog. All right, that's it for now. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.